and even with your song leader having a, a weaker voice today, I thought you were all singing quite well. Um, uh, that was uh, fun. It was enjoyable to sing with you this morning. Um, and then I tell you, that, that, that music gets you stirred up. I'm excited about uh, uh, the Lord today. And uh, even uh, we're going to do part two of He's Wonderful today. And, and even as I was getting ready for this, I say, uh, Lord, you are wonderful. Um, and uh, uh, Lord, I, I'm going to have so much fun talking about it. But Lord, I, I, some of us can talk about how great he is and, and not live uh, like he's as wonderful as we tell people he is. And I said, Lord, I don't want to just get up and, and, and talk about it. I, I want to live a life that reflects a belief down in my soul that you are wonderful beyond anything this world has to offer. I want to live that life. So we're looking at, uh, um, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 toward the end there. And we're talking about darkness and uh, when the light comes... How exciting is that? Uh, what do they say? The, it's always darkest just before the dawn. Uh, I know that in, the, in years past we've had that song sung up here. Um, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. And my, my wife likes to turn that into a, a little chorus for when she had the three to five year old campers and, and they would turn it into an action thing and it's like, the brighter the, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. I'm walking with Jesus, the light of the world. I'm walking with him, in him is no darkness. The darker the night, the brighter the light when I walk with him. And isn't that so true? It's, it's, it's so dark, and yet we get to, 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 to walk in the one in whom is, is no darkness at all, the light of the world. And so, again, this, this world, uh, is, it's so dark, and it, it, it does seem a little frightening to say, oh, turn my life over. Oh, boy, when he's not in charge, there's darkness, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Oh, the, the life that I live is best lived in the dark. Uh, it's, that's not the good life to live, though. Come out of the darkness into the light. It's a way better life to live. That might be true that the life that you live is best lived in the dark, but no life is supposed to be lived in the dark. He wants to give you a life that you can live in the light. So here we are in Isaiah chapter 8. We'll start there in verse 19. We read this last time. We'll, we'll give some context here again, but I won't comment on it nearly as long. But Isaiah 8, 19, and, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people uh, seek unto their God? For the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this world, it is because there is no light in them. Again, this world doesn't have any light of its own to offer. This world has no answers. This world has no solutions. And they shall pass through it hardly bestead and hungry. 
And it shall come to pass when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward and they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, we're at the beginning of chapter 9. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Ooh, I tell you, and then when you're in the darkness, that light is all the more welcoming, isn't it? They that dwell in the land of the shadows of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. So you think of when Midian oppressed them and God sent a deliverer. Oh, how nice to be delivered when an enemy comes with great might and one more powerful than that enemy comes and delivers you. How wonderful. And uh, again, as wonderful as Gideon the deliverer was, and we know that the real deliverance came from up on high, God is saying, you haven't seen anything yet. There's a real deliverer coming. Oh, and the joy that he will bring and the light that he will bring. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. For every battle of the warriors is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For, we come to our verse, unto us a child is born. And again, that's from our perspective. We see, look, a new child, a new baby. And of course, when when a child is born down here, that's the case. A new person, look at that. And we remember, though, that, that Christ was not a new person. When he came, he had always been. But from our perspective, oh, look, a child is born. Uh, unto us a son is given. From heaven's perspective, the Lord Jesus was in heaven and had, had been with the Father forever and ever and ever and ever. From heaven's perspective, a son was given. The Father said, son... I'm sending you down there to die in the, the place of sinners, but for a while to walk amongst them and, and leave an example to them and for them. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I tell you, uh, what, what government is upon his shoulder? Well, the government of all things. The, he, he governs the, the vast cosmos. He governs uh, down here the affairs of man, even as, as, as evil as a king might be. We saw that with the Christmas story, that Caesar thought that he was in charge and, and God was using him to orchestrate the affairs of, of his kingdom, where even God put it on his heart to move everybody around for taxation purposes. And little did he know he was fulfilling prophecy to bring Joseph and Mary there to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born according to prophecy. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name, we have five titles, shall be called Wonderful. Now some will say Wonderful Counselor as, as one title, but we see Wonderful Comma, don't we? Wonderful. So that's the first one. Counselor. Second one. The Mighty God. Third one. The Everlasting Father. The fourth one. 
the Prince of Peace, the fifth one. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. So uh, as you look back in time and you study a kingdom, you'd say, what was the pinnacle of that kingdom? What was the high watermark of that kingdom? What was the zenith of that kingdom? As that kingdom went up, when did it finally come down? What was that high point? And with God's kingdom, though, how exciting is it that there will be no high point? The high point will never end. Of the increase, there shall be no end. Only more and more powerful and more marvelous and more wonderful of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now, you can't talk about forever unless you're the everlasting father. Because we humans, we come and go. You would need somebody that comes but doesn't go. And that's the Lord Jesus. He's here to stay as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He can use those words forever because he's the everlasting Father. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So uh, let's look at this today. We started, we we got through a couple of those titles last time. We'll get through the last three. And uh, we'll enjoy looking at the Lord. He truly is so wonderful. Let's not just enjoy the thought, but let's live a life that reflects that. God says very clearly, the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him. Not that talk about how, he's a God worthy of being feared. Well, that's great. Keep saying that. It's wonderful. But don't just say it. Live a life that honors him. He's wonderful. So let's look at this together. Lord, we we thank you for the chance to be in your house. And Lord, thank you that the the furnaces are keeping up, Lord, the boilers. And we have heat in here. Thank you, Lord. It's cold outside. But, oh God, you're so wonderful. Uh, uh, We get to come together and, and delight in you. Help us, oh God, not to just say that you're wonderful. But help us to live like it. As though you are our greatest treasure Um, The the ladies sang the trio uh, about giving their lives, giving giving everything they are to you, O God. And again, we we love to sing songs like like that and aspire to that life, Lord. But but I pray that we would humbly come to you and say, O God, I, I want you to help me live a life where you're in charge, where you are uh, uh, leading and guiding and directing every part of my life, Lord. I I thank you when I was in great darkness for being that light that I could come to. Oh, help me, oh God, to live as unto you. Uh, I pray that you be with the message today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, he really is wonderful. Uh, so we, I'll give you the, the points again. And, and I accidentally, I wasn't thinking last time when I said, uh, um, I'll give you the points and if the Lord returns, you can fill in the rest on your own. Because if the Lord returns, hopefully most of you are going to not be here to fill in the rest of the points. It's not me that's going. It's going to be uh, 
uh, Dr. Schreiber was back there translating. He's like, oh, I don't think he meant to say that. And he's, he's back there correcting my doctrine as he translates. Uh, and you just have to make those uh, adjustments <laughs> on your own. <laughs> so he's wonderful. There is no prize that he does not surpass. He's counselor. There is no problem that he cannot solve. He's the mighty God. There is no power he cannot subdue. He's the, he, he's wonderful. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, he's the everlasting father. There is no period that he does not span. And he's the prince of peace. There is no person that he cannot save. So we looked at this last time, just a quick review. He's wonderful. There's no prize that he does not surpass. And, and, and you English majors, uh, you'll just have to, the double negatives in each of my points. Uh, you'll just have to get over that. Um, and I apologize in advance. And I thank you in advance for your understanding. All right. Uh, there's some presumptuousness, uh, the presumptuousness there, I, I know. He's wonderful. He's the, he's the definition of the superlative. Um, he's, he's, he's wonderful and he's better than anything and he's the best of all. He's superlative. He's the, the greatest prize of all. We looked at, at, at Psalm 139 where the psalmist said, Oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And again, sometimes we're like, a, we're, we, uh, I don't know, sometimes we think of God like Big Brother. Uh, we don't want the government knowing that much about us, Right? Um, because what, what's Big Brother going to do with all that information? We're like, like I know you. Through, I don't want you knowing me like that. You know, leave me alone. Give me some privacy. But, but, but sometimes we think of God that way. It's like, thou hast, you know everything about me. Oh, how are you going to use that information? What are you going to do you know, with, with that? And, and how are you going to uh, uh, slide into my life in ways I don't want? No, but you know what? When the Bible says that God knows us through and through, we should think of it completely differently. Wow. God, why? Why would you even care to know all about me? Thank you. Thank you. Because you can trust God with that knowledge. In fact, you, you don't want the government knowing, but for him you say, Lord, I don't even know me the way you do. Lord, I want you to tell me about me. And that's why we come to church. Uh, we come to church so that God can say, listen, let me tell you some things about you. Thank you, oh God, first of all, for knowing me through and through. And second, thank you for caring enough about me to tell me about me, the things I need to work on, the things I can do better at. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And here he says it, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. <laughs> So here today we say he's wonderful. There is no prize that he does not surpass. Lord, the fact that you know me the way that you do, the fact that you care enough about me to know me the way we do. We, we looked at this chorus. 
Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Counselor, Prince of Peace, mighty God is he. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer. Praise his name. There is no prize he does not surpass. Secondly, he's counselor. There is no problem he cannot solve. We gave this point as well, so just a a quick review. This world offers no answers, but he is counselor. What he has to say is is always absolute perfection. And the, the world loves to pretend that they have real answers. But down here, apart from God, the world pretends. It's like playing house, we said. Like when the kids, hey, you want to play house? You, you, you be the dad, and you be the dog, and, and you be the mom, and you be the hamster, and you be the, all right? Without God, I don't care how smart the person is. We're down here playing games without God. We're playing house. We're pretending like we have a clue. We have no clue apart from God. Have you turned on the radio and listened to the politicians? We have no clue down here apart from God. But God, oh, he knows everything. He knows everything. And I I don't know, sometimes when, when man invents something, right, it's like, oh, see? See what we're doing? See what we can do? And And the real thing is, anything we can figure out, Lord, thank you. Thank you for letting us figure that out. Thank you for letting somebody figure that out. It's it's pretty amazing, some of the things we enjoy down here. And is that because we're just like, well, we'll show him how amazing. No, no, every wonder, anything that's nice down here that we enjoy is because he let us figure some things out. He gave us the ingenuity. He gave us the the wherewithal. Anything down here that's pretty amazing is because he let us figure it out. Did you enjoy getting in a warm car today? Oh. And you you forget how cold it is outside, right? You're driving along and, oh, this is so nice. Thank you, Lord, for letting us figure these things out. He's counselor. Counselor. Uh, And again, we looked at this verse, uh, Colossians 2, 2 and 3, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom, and knowledge. He is counselor. Boy, how, how foolish of us to fail to check in with him each and every day. And then throughout the day, especially when God says, uh, if you'll acknowledge me in all your ways, I'll direct your paths. How wonderful is it that the one who has all the treasures of knowledge and of wisdom and knowledge in him offers direct our paths if if we'll just be humble enough to check in with him oh god you're in charge i belong to you thank you for loving me today as i step into this day that you gave as a gift lord i want to honor you would you, will you help me will you direct me will you set a watch before my mouth oh god that every word that i speak be honoring to you and be helpful to someone that I interact with. All right, 
So we have three more points to get to. So let's get to them now. The mighty God. The mighty God. There is no power he cannot subdue. We are so weak down here, aren't we? And yet he is so powerful. Um, So here we are in Isaiah. Uh, So let's stay in Isaiah and and we'll, we'll jump back to chapter 36. And we'll see an instance of the mighty God. The mighty God in uh, Isaiah chapter 36. So later on in this very book, we see an example of how mighty our mighty God is. Uh, So there in in, uh, Isaiah 36, uh, verse 11, um, verses 13 through 15, we'll we'll read all of that. But uh, uh, so Isaiah 36, 11. Then said Eliakim, and Shebna and Joah unto Rabshaki, speak, I pray thee, unto thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it, and speak not to us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. So what's going on here is uh, Jerusalem is, being, is surrounded by the enemy. And the people inside of Jerusalem are scared to death. The enemy is there to, to, to kill and destroy. And there's the enemy spokespeople are, are down there. And they're, they're yelling up and they're, and they're saying, uh, here are the terms of surrender. And here's what you're, you're we're so mighty and we're so powerful. And, and, and this is what we're going to do. And, and the words of the enemy spokespeople were so frightening that the Jewish people were starting to be frightened. And ah, ah, and, and so the, the, the leaders on the wall said, listen, can, can you stop speaking to us in, in the language, the, in the Jewish language that they understand? You're frightening the people. Can you speak to us in Syrian instead? We can have the conversation from the wall down to you. We don't have to scare everybody, but we can still talk. Can we talk without scaring everybody? So let's change to the Syrian tongue and speak in that language instead so we're not scaring everybody. And come to find out that was the whole point, was to scare everybody, to come and talk really big because they don't change languages. Let's see what happened. Let's jump to verse 13. Then... Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. <laughs> You're like, did you, did you misunderstand what I was just telling you? Uh, you, you forgot to switch languages. You, no, there was no forgetting. Please, you don't have to terrify everybody. No, actually, that's, that's what we're here for. To terrify. To kill. To destroy. Boy, the the voices of this world around us, the voices of the devil, they're designed to keep people afraid. Uh, You can control a people when they're they're afraid. I mean, the news, right? We talk about the news outlets. They're not there to report the news. They're, uh, They're there to sell the news. And fear sells. When you're scared to death, oh, I gotta get the paper, I gotta tune in, I gotta find out, oh, there's frightening things out there. This world keeps us afraid and they keep us afraid on purpose. 
But the Bible tells us that God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And here they're saying, please, you're terrorizing everybody. Yes, sure, let's talk terms of surrender, but you don't have to scare everybody while you do it. Yes, we do. We want people terrified. Boy, the enemy is scary. But I'm so glad that my God is bigger than the enemy. So, verse 13 there, Rabshakeh stood and cried in a loud voice in the Jews' language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king. They're not talking about Jehovah there. The king of Assyria. Thus saith the king. Let not Hezekiah deceive you. So they're saying, they're, now they're speaking, don't, don't listen to your king. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't listen to your leadership. Uh, for, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Isn't that what this world cries out? Don't listen. Don't let Hezekiah tell you that you can trust God. He hasn't helped any of these other countries. We keep, like, we keep on like a bulldozer, we, a steamroller. We keep rolling over people with their gods. Uh, we, we go and we're like, hey, surrender. And, and, and their gods don't help them. And we just steamroll over that kingdom. We steamroll over another kingdom. And we're going to steamroll over your kingdom too. Don't let Hezekiah tell you that you can trust God. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This, sh- this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to your king. All right, so the enemy, he's big and powerful and scary. But Hezekiah knew where he could find the mighty God. Isaiah chapter 37, so one chapter later, let's go to verse 14. Isaiah 37, 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. So this letter came from the enemy. Hezekiah reads it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying... And again, let's try to step into his situation for just a minute. This is frightening stuff. The enemy has the city surrounded, and Hezekiah doesn't just have the weight of his own life on his shoulders. That paled, I'm sure, in comparison to the weight on his shoulders for all the people in the city. Oh, God, I can't help these people. The enemy is bigger than me. The enemy is more powerful than me. Oh, God, we are looking to you. We have nowhere else to look. We are looking to you. Verse 16. Try to feel, sense some of his passion. Oh, Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. 
Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods. But the works of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore have they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. It makes sense that he steamrolled over all those other nations because you weren't the God of those nations. They were looking to some idol that they made with the works of their own hands and they weren't any God anyway. It makes sense that the enemy would steamroll over all of them. But Lord, we're different. We're not looking to idols. We are looking to the God. The one true God, Lord, show everybody that you are the mighty God. And we can jump down to verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. <laughs> so in the night, an angel went through and slew 185,000 enemy soldiers. And you might say, boy, if I was surrounded by the enemy, I would be looking for a mighty God. And the truth is, whether you realize it or not, you're surrounded by the enemy. Oh, we need him. But praise the Lord, he's there. But we just fail to look to him like we should. The mighty God. One man said, He who can fling a hundred billion galaxies into space or populate a drop of ditch water with countless microscopic germs or pack enough power into an atom to incinerate a city can surely put down at will any power on earth or in heaven or in hell. The mighty God. And by the way, the mighty God, this verse demands that the Lord Jesus be God himself, doesn't it? The mighty God. Jesus came. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. So no, it isn't good enough for us to say, oh, Jesus was a really good prophet. He was a, he was a pretty amazing guy. No, it's not good enough to say those things. He was God in the flesh. And today he is still God in heaven, interceding on the behalf of those that belong to him. Truly this child that was born and son that was given and is the mighty God, there is no power he cannot subdue. 
Next, he's the everlasting father. There is no period he does not span. He is one with his father and yet distinct. Uh, he is without beginning. And we can't even fathom this idea uh, of him being without beginning. Again, uh, probably many of you have, have thought about even the, the, the universe, the cosmos. You think of how, how could the universe end? What's on the other side of the end? And then it's got to end because how could it possibly go on forever? Either way, it seems impossible. At the edge of the universe, what's on the other side? And, and it has to have an edge, but it can't have an edge. I can't wrap my mind around it. How could God have never had a beginning? I, I can't, and I'm really glad that, my, that God is too big for me to wrap my mind around. If God was small enough for me to wrap my mind around, that's too small. I'm really glad that he's too big by far for me to wrap my mind around. Now this verse isn't saying that Jesus is the Father. I mean the Father, that person of the Godhead. But he's the everlasting Father. He's the Father of eternity. Jesus is not the Father of the Godhead. They are distinct persons, but he is one with the Father. The Bible is very clear about that. John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. Uh, John 14, 11 says, Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So he's the, he's the eternal Father. He's the Father of eternity. Time belongs to him. He is the Father. He's the owner. He's the creator. He is the controller of time. He's the only one that can give everlasting life because everlasting belongs to him. And he's the only one to whom it belongs. He's the father of eternity. He's the alpha and omega. That's the first Greek letter and the last Greek letter. He's the beginning, he's the end, and he's everything in between. We cannot go back far enough into time to the place where he is not. Always he is there. Even back to the dawn of creation, there he is about to launch countless stars and their satellites into vast orbits at inconceivable velocities to travel with mathematical precision on predictable paths. There he is gathering all of time into his presence, the eternal present tense in the relationship of Jesus and time. It would be pretty amazing for Jesus to say in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I was. That would be pretty amazing for him to say that. But that's not what he says. In John 8, 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. All throughout time. Not bound my time. Not moving through time like we are distinct from time, and the owner of time. As the father of eternity, he is the owner of eternity. The word forever belongs to him alone. I love that word forever, right? At the end of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all, uh, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And how could he say that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, because of verse 1. And that's the only reason he could say that. Because he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord was his shepherd, and that shepherd is the owner of eternity, that's why he could say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It wasn't just because he liked the idea. It was because his shepherd was the father of eternity. That brings us to our last title. He's the Prince of Peace. There is no person that he cannot save. Oh, sure. Yes, ponder the greatness of your sin. But don't stop there. Ponder the even greater majesty and limitlessness of his sacrifice. He's the bringer of peace. He's the very prince of peace, the Sar Shalom. Dr. Strauss in his commentary on Isaiah said, Isaiah's prophecy jumped over a span of at least 2,700 years from the contemporary Assyrian threat to the first coming of Christ and finally to his millennial reign. He will bring peace one day to this sin-darkened and vicious world. But we don't have to wait for him to bring peace to this earth. We can go to him for peace in our own lives on an individual basis right now. There is no tormented soul to whom he cannot bring his peace. That's why Jesus came. Luke 2, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. The prince of peace had come to earth to do his work. We in our sins are enemies with God. But Jesus, the bringer of peace, came to bring reconciliation. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He who sits astride the centuries, who walks among the galaxies, who has all wisdom and who dwells amid the great certainties, has nail prints in his hands. And today he is mighty to save. What did the Bible say earlier in verse 6? The government shall be upon his shoulder. <laughs> the government of all things. Those are some mighty broad shoulders. For me, I, I can shoulder some things. <laughs> but I can't nearly shoulder what he shoulders. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And in fact, he says it's singular. It's shoulder. He's got a spare. He's got a spare shoulder for other things. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And you know, for, to speak everything, everything into existence and to govern all things, well, that just takes a shoulder. But what's amazing to me is when he came to provide salvation, he uses both shoulders. We see that in Luke chapter 15. Let's go there for just a moment. Luke 15, verse 3. 
Luke 15, verse 3. Again, he can govern all things with one shoulder. But when he came to provide salvation, he uses both. Luke 15, verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, and if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. Oh, do you remember that day when you were lost? And the shepherd found you? And laid you on his shoulders? And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Say unto you that likewise, I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Was there a day when he set you on his shoulders? You recognized your lost position, your lost condition, and he found you and lifted you and put him across his shoulders. I know that I know that I know there was a day he laid me across his shoulders and I enjoy being there still. My kids are down there, two of them. And when they were little, you, you, you dads, when you're out hiking, right? You're on a hike, right? You're hiking along, and, and without fail, right? One of the, Dad, kind of tired now. <laughs> Up on you, Shotos. Up on you, Shotos. <laughs> and it's like, oh, all right. And I would put them on my shoulders, and we'd walk for a little while. But I don't do that anymore. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively big guy. But they aren't as little as they used to be. It wouldn't be long. I'm like, yeah, come on over here. It'd be about four steps and I would need knee surgery. <laughs> They're too big to ride on my shoulders. <laughs> but I have good news for you. We will never get so big that he doesn't have room on his shoulders or the strength to carry us. He's the Prince of Peace. There's no person he cannot save. Oh, he's wonderful. It's nice to talk about, are you living like he's wonderful? Maybe you don't remember a time where he lifted you. Boy, he lifted that sheep and put him across his shoulders and there was joy in heaven. I don't know that there was a time where there was joy in heaven. A time where I trusted him and he lifted me onto his shoulders. I, I don't know that that ever took place on my account. Well, today's a good day for that. And those of you that 
were hoisted onto those shoulders, are you still resting there? Resting in his strength? Or are you trying to live this Christian life on your own? We sing there's room at the cross for you, don't we? But we could also sing there's room on those shoulders for you. And even after you're saved, I, I still need, oh God, up on your shoulders. And those hard times, it was then that he carried us. He's wonderful. Are we living like it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for being that mighty God, that Prince of Peace, the Father of Eternity, that Counselor. Lord, we can look to you. Oh, Lord, you're so wonderful. I pray, Lord, we're going to have a short time of invitation, Lord, and it's going to be quiet in here. The instruments will play softly. I pray that everyone in here will just do a little quiet business with you, oh God. Thank you for being wonderful and ask you to help us to live like it. Oh, and God, there may be someone here today who has never been hoisted onto those shoulders. They didn't recognize their lost condition, the fact that they're sinners and they don't deserve heaven. They never recognized that they were at odds because of their sin with God up in heaven, but the Lord Jesus came to bring reconciliation. He died in our place so that instead of being enemies of God, we could be at peace with him through the Lord Jesus and only through the Lord Jesus. Maybe there's someone in, in here today who's never been hoisted onto those shoulders by the Prince of Peace. Maybe they might do that today. Lord, I pray for many in here that I believe are saved. I pray, Lord, that we would live like you're wonderful, living a life fearing you, living a life honoring you, saying no to this world and saying yes to the things that please you. Not just saying you're wonderful, but living like it. Oh, God, help us with that very thing. I ask these things in Christ's name, amen.